Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. It's 1 Peter chapter 3, starting to read at verse 8. Finally, all of you live in harmony with one another. Be sympathetic. Love as brothers. Be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult, but with blessing, because to this you were called, so that you may inherit a blessing. For whoever would love life and see good days must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from deceitful speech. He must turn from evil and do good. He must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear what they fear. Do not be frightened, but in your hearts set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience, so that those who speak maliciously against your good behaviour in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. It is better if it is God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. For Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive by the Spirit, through whom also he went and preached to the spirits in prison, who disobeyed long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. In it, only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water. And this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a good conscience towards God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand, with angels, authorities and powers, in submission to him. Thank you very much, Alison, for reading for us. And if you want to keep your Bibles open at that place, that's the passage we're going to be thinking about tonight. My name's Peter Bramhall. I'm the student worker here at Christchurch Fullwood. Well, as we come to look at this passage together, shall we pray for God's help that we might be changed? Father God, we do pray that you would speak to us clearly tonight through your word. We pray that you would equip us to live the Christian life and that we would be able to keep going even in hard times so that others might see 
and see something in our lives and may turn and glorify you as they turn to Christ. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I was speaking a few months ago to a lady who had become a Christian fairly recently. She had been on a Christianity Explored course and had learnt about Jesus and wanted to know how she could live that life better. As she described it, she felt like she wasn't living the Christian life properly. She felt that she failed in so many ways. She wanted in her workplace people to see that she was a Christian and understand that from her lives. But then she said to me, but, and this was the problem for her, but I don't know what to do. How do I live the Christian life so that people might see, so that I might be different from people? Maybe you've experienced that. Maybe you're a new Christian here this evening and you're thinking, yeah, how do I live the Christian life? Now, well, 1 Peter's been so helpful, hasn't it, over the last few weeks as we've been studying uh, this book, as we've uh, seen how we should be living in response to what God has done for us. Now, we've read those big commands back in chapter 2 in verses 11 and 12. Do you remember those things? Peter says this, Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires which war against your souls. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God in the day he visits us. And he's shown us how we live that out in society and submission to rulers. He's shown us how we live that out in the workplace and in the home. And tonight he shows us how we live that out in the family. And how we live that out when we face hostility from others. Showing that those attitudes that we have in the church family will spill over into every area of our lives. And he will show us how we keep going when we suffer for doing good. But firstly, we will see that we should love others and respond with blessing when evil is done to us. Now in many ways, this passage is really straightforward, isn't it? I love how straightforward that beginning bit is. Peter says to us, the Christian church, as to those who are God's people, he says, put on the following characteristics. You see them there in verse 8. Live in harmony, he said, he says. That is, have a like-mindedness with those around you. You see, as we come tonight, we are not individuals forging our own way ahead. We are a community of believers together who are meant to be like-minded, to be in harmony with each other. We've been called to the same gospel. We've been called to live the same life in the world. And so we're called to be, secondly, sympathetic. Now, when others fail, we are sympathetic with them. When they're going through tough times, we are sympathetic with them. And thirdly, we are to love as brothers. The focus here is on loving each other. As brothers and sisters, we are to love each other. In many ways, love is the thing that sums all of these up. Fourthly, we are to be compassionate with each other. Now, compassionate in how we act towards other people, but also in how we feel about other people. We are to be humble, not seeking to assert ourselves over people, rather in being humble before each other. And in all of these five characteristics, you could say that what we're meant to do is put other people first. I don't know if you're like me, but my natural tendency is to put myself first. I hear that message often in the world. Look after number one, because number one's most important. 
If you don't look after your number one, then nobody else will do that for you. So look after number one. But as we've just read and from chapter two, Peter says, abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. And so we are to fight against that desire to put ourselves first. And we put others first. We love each other more than we love ourselves. And it's easy to see, isn't it, how good that is. You know, in chapter 2, Peter showed us that we've been called as God's people, as his holy nation. And as we live together, we are meant to be marked by this other person-centered love. And as people see that, and it's an attractive picture for them. I don't know if you've heard people talking about how they've been converted to Christianity, how they've come to accept the gospel message. Often when I people hear people say how they came, they start by saying, I came to church and I saw there a people who were very different to people that I've seen before. There was a community of people who loved each other. And we heard Sam say it in the video, that she sees amongst us a people who love each other, who care for each other. And it's an attractive picture. It does, as 2.12 says, it makes a picture that people look at our good lives and then want to glorify God. They ask us then about why we live like that and we get the opportunity to talk about the gospel with them. We can see how good it is, can't we? And yet it isn't an easy thing to live out. Now just think about what might happen in your small group. As you sit down in your small group one week, there's one person in the group who constantly cuts across you when you try to speak. You're being called to love that person. Or you share in your small group about the big day that you're about to have on Saturday and how you're so worried about it. And nobody from your small group calls you or emails you or texts you or asks you anything about that. And you feel hurt and lonely by that. And yet you think, I want to love those people. Or or you miss a small group for a couple of weeks because you're having doubt and no one rings you. How do you love people then? Or your small group goes out for the day, but they forget to tell you about that and you feel excluded and not part of it. How do you love them then? Or your small group makes a comment about what you're wearing. And again, it hurts. Now, in all those situations, it's not that something right has happened. Something's wrong has happened to you. But how do you respond to those things? Because can I say, in church life, there'll be many and many times when you get hurt by what other people say and do. It's not that they mean to do that, but it's just that that's what happens sometimes. How do you respond when that happens? Some people just respond by giving up. They stop coming. They take themselves out of the community. I was speaking to someone in a church from a different town last week, and he was saying he knows a number of people in that town who used to come to church but don't come any longer. And he thinks it's because they were hurt at some time in the past, and so they stopped coming. Another response that we can make when we get hurt is that we try to get our own back. You ever felt that desire? I think that's what Peter addresses in verse 9 when he says, don't repay evil with evil or insult with insult, but with blessing. Because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. Have you ever felt that desire when somebody does something wrong to you to get your own back? 
Now, sometimes you don't act out. I don't often act on my desire to get my own back. But do you ever do that thing of you replay that situation in your mind over and over again? And each time you imagine what you might have said to really get them back. The word which would have cut them down. The action which would have shown them that you were boss. You see, wanting to get our own back is often a natural reaction when things don't go well for us. And just because I don't act it out outwardly, there's no way that I can be doing what Peter says here, which is respond to evil with a blessing. If I feel in my heart that way against someone, how can I possibly seek a blessing for them? How can I possibly act with blessing towards them? And the same goes for when I withdraw from the community and just disappear and don't come and leave. How can I be a blessing? How can I have responded to the thing that's been done to me with blessing? You see, Peter says here, love each other and respond to evil with blessing. And then he gives the reason. And the reason is this, that God promises blessings to those who live like that. That's what God wants from us. And the teaching of Peter here is not unique to him. It was there all the way through the New Testament. Indeed, Peter quotes from King David speaking in Psalm 34. You see the quote there in verses 10 to 12? You see it saying the same thing as Peter's just said in the verses before. Keep your tongue from evil and deceitful speech. You are to turn from evil and do good. You are to seek peace and to pursue it. And the reason, do you see the reason at the end there? Because God looks at people who do that. And God gives ear to their prayers. And that is the God that we call upon as Father. And so if we're going to live by God's standards and call upon him as our Father, then we live by his standards. And more than God just being for people like that, do you see that he's against those who do evil? You see, remember 2.11? Not only are we to do good, but we are to abstain from sinful desires. So as God's people, love each other. Respond to evil by seeking the other person's blessing. As God's people, seek to please him in every way. And you know, as a church family, as we gather together and as we spend time together on Sundays and in small groups, as we work on those attitudes in ourselves and towards each other, they will naturally spill out into everyday life, won't they? When we do good towards each other, that will start to spill out in how we respond to everyone in the whole of society. And so in verses 13 to 22, Peter says, keep living like that and keep speaking for Jesus even if you suffer. Do you see, as we live this other person-centered life of love, we may suffer for it. But keep living it out, says Peter. But before we get to that, it's important just to see how Paul introduce, uh, Peter introduces all this in verse uh, 13. Do you see what he says there? Uh, who is going to harm you if you're eager to do good? If you are being characterized by the qualities of verses 8 to 11, and you're seeking to live good lives among unbelievers, who's going to harm you? Now the answer is surely no one. That wouldn't be the normal expectation, would it? If you're doing good, that people would then want to harm you. 
And so then verse 14, when Peter says, but if you do suffer for what is right, he's not saying that suffering is inevitable and that we should expect it at every turn. Now Peter is saying, suffering for doing good is a real possibility, although it might not be a present experience for you right now. But what he is doing here then is preparing us, preparing us so that if we do face suffering in the world for doing good, we know how to respond And if we do face suffering like that, to be encouraged that we are blessed. Now maybe you are suffering at this very moment for doing good, for living out that Christian life. Well, be encouraged by what Peter says here. You are blessed for doing that. But for many of us here, I guess we're not really suffering when we live out this good Christian life. And so learn the lessons in the good times so when the bad time comes, you know how to respond and you are prepared so that you can keep going under suffering. So what do you do when suffering comes? How are you to respond? Well, firstly, there's an issue of our heads. Do you see it in verse 14? Do not fear what they fear, says Peter. It's quite hard, isn't it, to not be frightened when something that's maybe frightening comes amongst us. You know, when we are threatened with being excluded, you know, if your school friends say to you, you're not going to be part of the group, that is something which is fearful. It's something which we feel hard. Or the prospect of losing a promotion at work can be fearful. We fear the consequences of that, the, the loss of financial prospects. That is hard. You see, it's easy to fear those things. And that is what people in our society fear. And so they respond appropriately. But Peter says here, don't be scared of those things. Don't be scared of what the world is scared of. You see, the fear that we are being warned against here is is a sense of overinflating the power and the significance of things and people. When we overinflate the threats of the society that lead us to compromise our faith, The compromise that on one hand might be through shrinking into silence and blending in, stopping being a distinctive witness for Christ. Or the compromise on the other hand might be that we take moral shortcuts or that we lash out in anger against people. But Peter says, do not fear. But instead, verse 15, in your heart set apart Jesus as Lord. In your heart, set apart Christ as Lord. You see, if you're not going to fear what our society fears, then you need to make Jesus bigger and people and things smaller. We combat fear by having that right view of Jesus. We make him Lord and King. Now, this is really important. I found this really interesting this week. Set this in context. The quote, do not fear, comes from Isaiah chapter 8. You'll see that in the footnote. There, God's people were facing the threat of military destruction. And Isaiah says, do not fear what they fear. And then he goes on to say in Isaiah 8, 13, these words. The Lord Almighty is the one you are to regard as holy. He is the one you are to fear. He is the one you are to dread. And in the translation of verse 15 in 1 Peter, you could say literally it is, make Jesus holy. Make Christ holy. Setting apart Christ as Lord is to set apart the Lord Almighty as holy. 
You see, we need to remember that Jesus is the Lord Almighty. He is God himself. And Jesus will be, as Isaiah 8.14 says, a sanctuary. But for both houses of Israel, he will be a stone that causes men to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. You see, get your thinking straight. Jesus is so much stronger than anything else. And so he is the one that we should fear. He is our sanctuary. And he is the rock which will cause all those who are opposed to him and us to stumble. So when we start to get Jesus in the rightful place in our hearts, then verse 15, we will always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you for the reason you hope reason for the hope that you have. You see, it's very easy, isn't it, when we're being frightened by people to keep quiet. But Peter says, put Jesus in the rightful place and then you will have confidence to speak. And we should speak and tell people of the hope that we have in Christ when they ask us. Our behavior should give us the opportunity to do that. And so can I ask you this evening, can you clearly and succinctly explain the gospel the hope that we have. You see, because that gospel hope uh, is, is the gospel. It's the message of the gospel that we are to explain. Can you do that clearly and succinctly so when somebody asks you for the reason, you can give them it? Now, if you think you can't, then that's something to practice. And so when you practice, when somebody asks you very naturally and easily, you'll be able to explain the reason for the hope that you have. Maybe that's something you can practice in your small groups with each other. How do you explain the gospel clearly and succinctly? Now, that's a fairly obvious application, but it's a really important one that we don't miss. So if you don't suffer, if you suffer, sorry, do not fear. Set apart Christ as Lord and be prepared to speak of the hope that you have. And then Peter goes on to talk about the manner in which we do that. You see, we're not to lash out in vengeance. Rather, we are to speak with gentleness and respect that can be hard can't it when people are being aggressive towards us in speaking up you need to maintain your good conduct in Christ that you've been called to in verse 16 you need to keep a clear conscience so that your life matches up you live consistently and when you fail and sin that is the exception not the usual expectation And when you do that, those who are causing you to suffer will be shown up for what they are doing. And so then, in verse 17, Peter summarizes again. He says this, It's better if it is God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. It's better to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. So keep doing good. Now why is that the case? Well, verses 18 to 22 give us the reason. You see how verse 18 starts. It starts with that word for. Here's the reason why it's better to keep doing good than doing evil. Unfortunately, the reason given is are some of the most difficult verses in the whole of the New Testament to understand. And so we have to work hard to understand the reason. And you were wondering why the vicar went away on this Sunday and left the student worker to preach. One commentary I read this week devoted 21 pages to these four little verses. Uh, They calculated that there could possibly be 180 different interpretations of what's going on here. So here we go. Let's see if we can understand what's going on. 
you see, what, the, what do we do when we come across verses like this that are difficult to understand? Well, one thing is, rather than getting stuck on the difficulties, try to see what's clear. And, and I think the main point is clear, and it's this. The reason that we are to persist in doing good, even when suffering, is that in ascending to heaven, Jesus issued a death sentence to anything that would rival his universal cosmic rule. In other words, keep doing good because Jesus is Lord of everything. Now you see that in verse 22. Verse 22, speaking of Jesus, it says that he has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities and powers in submission to him. And so I think that's the big reason. Jesus, in ascending to heaven, has put every authority that might stand against him and us in submission to him. So we don't need to fear. We can keep Jesus as Lord and we can keep speaking with confidence and living with confidence before him. So let's try and keep that uh, big idea in our mind. And let me just try and uh, see if we can get a little bit through the, the detail of what's going on here. So verse 18 And remember, verse 18 is written as the reason of why we should keep doing good. Because, verse 18, Christ died for us to bring us to God. He died for the unrighteous to bring us to God. Now, that's a great reason to keep going following God's way, isn't it? He died for us to bring us to God. And Peter goes on in verse 18. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. Now, I think what's going on there is saying that he was killed as a man in this realm that we live, but he was resurrected as a man in the spiritual realm. That is, Jesus has died and was resurrected, and when he was resurrected, he had a perfected body, the same as we will have when we are resurrected in the future. And then verse 19 says, through whom he also went. Now, I think the 2011 reversion of the NIV makes the original clear. It says this. It says, after being made alive, he went. You see, so I think what we have going on here is a sequence of events. Peter speaks of Jesus' death and then resurrection, and then he went. And he went in his ascension. By ascension, I mean that he went into heaven to be with God the Father. Another reason I think it's speaking of ascension there is the word went in that verse, in verse 19. It's the same word translated as gone in verse 22. Now, in verse 22 is very clearly speaking of ascension. And so we see, we have the sequence then. Jesus' death, and then resurrection, and then ascension. And therefore, in his ascension, verse 19, after being made alive, he went and preached to the spirits in prison who disobeyed long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah. Now I think Peter's picking up on an understanding popular in people's minds at the time that in the flood, Noah's time, there was fallen angels at that time who were then held by God. They rebelled against God and were held by God. And in Jesus, in his resurrection and ascension, proclaimed his victory over them. Now, Jesus was showing his victory to those who would have been considered the heroes of old. He shows that they are no heroes but defeated rebels. You might like to think about it like this. In his death and resurrection, and particularly in his ascension then, it's a bit like a victory parade. Do you know when the English team won the World Cup 
and they then parade through uh, the streets of London in the open-top baths, uh, parading their victory to all who will see, showing that they have defeated their opponents, defeated their enemies. Well, in the same way, I think Jesus is doing that in his ascension. As he ascends to heaven, he, it says victory parade over those spirits, over those who disobeyed long ago. There's a number of other interpretations. I'll just mention a couple just so you can see. I think one is just wrong. What is that some people say that Jesus descended to hell and preached to the spirits there, but there's nothing in the verses of lang- about the language of descending or going down. And also, it doesn't fit the sequence. So I think that's wrong. Another interpretation, which may be correct, is that Jesus was present in his spirit with Noah in Noah's day. And so, if you like, Jesus, by his spirit, spoke through the mouth of Noah. Although I think the best interpretation is that he preached in his ascension on his way to heaven. His action in ascending to heaven proclaimed his victory over all that stood against him. And I think the reason then that Peter picks up Noah is that he provides an apt illustration for suffering Christians who are seeking to speak for Jesus. Now think about Noah, we've been hearing about him in the morning. Noah obeyed the word of God and lived according to it despite the ridicule of those around him. He was building a boat in the middle of nowhere. And yet he followed God's word and kept living for him. And he proclaimed righteousness, to Peter tells us, to those around He didn't withdraw in the suffering. And as Noah trusted God and took him at his word, verse 20, the ark was being built. And in it, only a few people, eight and all, were saved through water. You see, Noah and those with him took God at his word and climbed into the ark and were saved. In the same way that we are saved, not through an ark of wood and pitch, but through an ark called Jesus Christ. And so verse 21, and this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you, not the removal of dirt from the body, but a pledge of a good conscience towards God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus. You see, as we suffer and as we keep going with Jesus, we trust in him, the one who died for our sin and rose for our life. And so in baptism, we died to sin and rose to life. And we keep looking forward with a certain confidence to the future hope we have. And then Peter comes back to the ascension in verse 22. Who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God the Father with angels, authority and powers in submission to him. Well, that's been quite a lot to try and take in. But can you see why it's so encouraging? As you suffer for doing good, as you find it hard to do good, Peter says, keep going. And don't fear what they fear because Jesus has saved you and has defeated all powers that might stand against you or him. They're all in submission to him. Peter says, set apart Christ Jesus as Lord. Why? Because he is the risen and ascended king of the entire cosmos. So keep reminding yourself of who Jesus is. And when you're tempted to compromise your faith or when you're tempted to keep quiet about your faith, remember he is the king and you can trust in him. And speak of the hope which you have in him, not being afraid of what people think because he's the risen and ascended king. 
And we desire others to realize that and to stop their rebellion against him and so that they too can find salvation in him as well. So keep living a good life that they may see your good deeds and glorify God. And you could keep working back up the verses. Don't repay evil with evil because you don't have to. Respond with blessing. And we seek blessing not just for the household of believers but for all people We can love others because we've been showing amazing love ourselves. We too were rebels until we were called by this wonderful heavenly father. So how do you live the Christian life? That's what my friend wanted to know. Well, tonight's passage would say, focus on the risen and ascended victorious Jesus. Trust in him and live boldly and fully for him. Loving others, doing good not being afraid of people and speaking boldly for him with every opportunity that you have. And as we do that, surely we need to keep praying for each other and for ourselves, don't we? So let me do that for us now. Father God, we pray that you would assist us as we seek to live good lives among the unbelieving world. Would you help us to love each other even when we are hurt and when evil is done to us? Help us to do good even when we suffer for it. And would you help us to be bold in living for and speaking for Jesus? Imprint onto our hearts the truth that Jesus lives and reigns with you victorious over every evil power and help us to keep trusting in him and we pray in his name amen